Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, COVID Leaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we are welcoming back today Charles Rosenay. How's it going, Charles? It's going great! Thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. So, I've been asking people in the last year how they've been getting through with COVID and everything. normally do I wasn't able to do during COVID you know I'm a DJ a party entertainer by trade weddings by mitzvahs, all that stuff that was gone I'm, I'm, I'm a you know a tour guy I do Beatle tours Dracula tours that was gone booking bands everything I really did I couldn't do so during COVID I uh, somehow put together this book um, of celebrities favorite horror themes and the, the book of top 10 horror lists as a result of all the work I put in during, you know, pandemic. And it just came out, and I'm really excited about it, uh, you know, the bright sides of the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, you added another thing to your list of already astounding accomplishments. Uh, I was very nice of you to say. It's cool because I'm doing a bunch of convention appearances now, and it's nice to see author, uh, along with, you know, actor and producer and anything else they decide to call me, a paranormal investigator, you know, a Beatles enthusiast, whatever the title may be, whatever hat I'm wearing, uh, author is a really cool one to have on that resume. Oh, I'm sure it is. And you have been a Beatles fan for so long, and you saw them on Ed Sullivan. Was that where it started for you? Were you a fan before that? No, it did. Yeah, my gosh, that was the that was the beginning. And from you know, I always say it's one of my first memories in life. From that point on. You know, I, I wanted to be a Beatle. Uh, I think every guy either wanted to be a Beatle or a musician. Every girl wanted to sleep with or marry a Beatle, and it changed the world. Um, you know, I was able to somehow make my passion and love of the Beatles into something of a hobby, and that became sort of a business between the producing of the conventions, the organizing the tours, publishing a fanzine. You know, even this book that's a horror-themed book has nine chapters on the Beatles. So I didn't let down my Beatle people. I, uh, you know, gave them some good stuff in the book. That's awesome. And it had to be something cool, uh, you know, going from watching them on Ed Sullivan to you getting, getting to work with Paul and numerous other Beatles personalities. That had to be really awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I never in my life thought I would ever meet any of the guys and, you know, 86, I had met the monkeys, and that was such a thrill. And I said, all right, that's it. You know, my, my life of wanting to meet my greatest heroes is complete. But then a few years later, I got to meet Paul. And then, of course, George Harrison was a, a really uh, fortunate kismet thing because we met at the end at the uh, airport in Japan when I had a group of fans who went over to see him there. And then Ringo, you know, at press conferences, and uh, I talked to him on the, at the Phil Donahue show. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been pretty special. No Lennon in that mix, but, you know, I'm very, very honored about the rest. Yeah, three out of four ain't bad, and considering how long ago John passed, I mean, I think you did you did wonderfully. Yeah, thank you for that. It's been, been a fun journey and, you know, a lot of my, you know, dreams and a lot of happiness to me, but as such, I've also been able to bring happiness to a lot of, you know, fans through the conventions and the tours and the magazines and a lot of stuff. I've done, and that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure as well. Well, I'll probably bounce around here, but I did not notice until now you have a son named Ian, and, I, you know, being my name, I think that's a pretty neat name. <laughs> yeah, 
first son is Harrison. Oh, and my nice. second son, I was pushing for Lennon, but uh, my wife said, you know, come on, we, we, you know, something. And we, at least it's, yeah, Ian is cool, and he's a cool kid, so I'm really happy with that. <laughs> That's a great name, thank you, and you share it. Heck yeah, it's, uh, and... I have four in, four in both names, so my first name's Ian and then Boothby's Scottish, so yeah, I feel stranger and stranger every day. <laughs> and what's the heritage of Boothby? What's your, what's your last name? Is that Scottish? Oh, it's Scottish, yeah. Very, very cool, yeah. British and uh, English and Scottish. I think, you know, the last name might be British, the first name's Scottish, but it's all yeah. over in that region. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. So when did you start doing the Beatles conventions? How did all that come about for you? That had to be uh, those had to be pretty cool. Yeah, well, I was still in school. I, was, I think last year in high school, and I was a, a a gopher. I was called the associate producer, but I was really like an intern at a, at a theater. And one of the things was I had to give input as to the shows that were coming in. And I said, you know, well, let's bring in a Beatlemania show. It was '77. I had just seen the show Beatlemania. I just been to a Beatles convention in New York, and I said, you know, let's let's do something like that. And they said, well, you've been to this Beatle convention, we'll have to do a similar convention here. And I thought, well, there's one's in New York, and then there's one's in Boston, but nothing in between. I was in Connecticut and thought, well, if I, if I want to go to, I always thought, if I want to do something, hopefully there's others that would too. And so, um, plan to do it in this theater, which closed. I mean, it just went belly up. Mm. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go forward and do it anyway. And, you know, it took my, some of my parents' money and <laughs> sold a butcher cover here and there, whatever I had to do, and pretty much, really, believe it or not, put together a Beatles convention. It was very small, very modest, Beatles band, a handful of dealers, but it grew exponentially right after that. It just, it just exploded, and by the 80s, I was doing shows all over um, Tokyo and, and, and all over the U.S. and smaller mm. markets and the secondary markets. Um, to the point where in 84 for the Beatles 50th anniversary, I had a show in Miami at the Omni, which drew about 50,000 people, which I think to this day is a record for a convention in the U.S. And that's still more, you know, I still do them, but it's morphed into festivals where it's instead of one band and a lot of guests and vendors, it's a lot of bands and maybe one guest and some vendors. It's all about the music now. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, when did DJing start for you? My girlfriend DJs, so I'm pretty familiar with that, and it's a lot of fun. And... Oh, no kidding. So uh, the DJing started around uh, the same time, either when I was late high school or beginning college. And in those days, I, was a, I was on, started on college radio, and a friend of mine who was in the DJ business had a few nightclubs where he was had two reel-to-reel decks. <laughs> and... Um, would show me how to mix the reel to reels, and I thought that's impossible. I have a phenomenally large record collection. I'll go out with crates and crates of records, and he sent me out on a few gigs, and I was just like petrified. I just remember the first gig, I didn't know how to start the system because even though he gave me the best rules on how to do it, I forgot that you had to plug in the system to get power. <laughs> and then um, the second or third gig, you know, they wanted a lot of announcements, a lot of, and I just, I said the microphone didn't work, sorry, because I was really afraid mm -hmm. to, but somewhere, somehow, I don't know if it was some speech classes in college, I just broke out of that, and you give me a microphone now, you put me in front of 10 people, or a thousand people, I'm just, I just love being on a stage, love being with a microphone, love emceeing, and I always said, you know, I'm not 
a great DJ, but I'm a great MC. If you need me to go into a club now and mix hip hop and rap and do it seamlessly, I cannot do that. I will not do that. But if you give me the microphone, I will make sure everyone in the crowd has a great time. And you know that's you know that's pretty much uh, transformed from the days when I was producing the conventions because I would always host my own shows. I would MC the Beatle conventions and the Monkey conventions. I'd always be on stage, you know, introducing the acts. Uh, interviewing some of the guests with other people and uh, running the sound of light contest. So I, I loved, loved, loved doing that. And early on, I learned that, like you, you know, I know I can do a good interview. I interviewed Richie Havens at one of my conventions, and then John Lennon's sister Cynthia Pete Best so many times. And you know, when you get the confidence, that's what it's all about. You know, you can run a good interview, listen to what people are saying, follow up with the right questions. It's just, it's a joy. Oh, yeah, I've listened back occasionally to old shows, and it's crazy how much I stumbled. I was like, well, it sounded like Ozzy Osbourne or something. Uh, that's funny. But, I mean, you learn anything. If you uh, take anything uh, with a, with hard uh, work, and you keep going with it for long enough, you can get pretty good at it, or at least fake your way through it. Yeah, and a lot of it's confidence. To me, I still play softball, and it's no. I always equate it with, you know, when you feel you can do good, you do good. If you have the confidence and the experience, you know, it's not a lot you can't um, can't accomplish and can't conquer. I've been very fortunate. Absolutely. And you, uh, when did acting start for you? You've had some some nice acting roles as well, including Flight of the Conquerors, which had to be pretty neat. getting to play uh, Elton John alongside Patton Oswalt and um, that, was, that, was, that was fun that was a really great one um, so the acting started I think in the 80s, late 80s when I went on an audition and um, I, I, I was horrible I couldn't act, I couldn't, they wanted me to get angry and I couldn't <laughs> do, do a good British accent and a good Ringo and it sounded nothing like it should have it was a cartoon Ringo and I, and I didn't get the role and then years later, I saw the CD for it, and I looked on IMDb, you know, the DVD, rather, and it had me as a credit. I was credited on a film that I was never in, A Gun for Jennifer, which was so funny. But that gave me, I said, you know what? I like seeing myself in a credit. Um, I, I, well, I had um, su submitted and contributed to the Beatles video, the famous um, epic video, The Complete Beatles, years ago, before there was any anthology. And I, could, uh, I was able to contribute audio to that. And I was thanked at the end. You know, when you roll the credits, if you, if you slow them down, you can see me in, in the credits. I, I loved the, the credits. So I, I started, you know, going out for roles. And I, I don't get it, Ian. I was, they called me. I said, come in. Yeah, we want you to do this. And I was doing a bunch of cameo background extra work. Mm-hmm. Because I love horror and because I love music, I was really, really focusing on those opportunities, whatever there were casting calls. And I got in good with a few local, when I say local, you know, Connecticut area directors and producers who liked what I did and would call me back to do more stuff. So some of my most intense work where I really do a lot of lines and I do a lot of scenes and I even have a few leads is in more of the local independent, you know, Connecticut horror shorts and horror films. But I was able to do a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I was directed by Martin Scorsese in the Rolling Stones film, Shine a Light. Um, 
I was I was in a film with Tom Savini, who is a famous makeup artist and has been in a lot of horror films. You know, the people in the horror genre know Tom Savini. Oh yeah. And you mentioned and you mentioned you know of course the the Flight of the Concords, which was on HBO. Um, uh, I was on ESPN's The Bronx is Burning. I was in a film with Ben Stiller and Kristen Wiig called um, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, that's a good and one. Some, and some, some of these I actually can see myself on the screen, which is great. Some, I, you know, probably on the cutting room floor. Others, it's just me dashing by. And you can point, but that, that was his hair. You can see, a, you know, an inch <laughs> of him. But it's fun. And I really, it's to have that as part of the, you know, the whole package. It's pretty cool. Now that I'm doing, you know, convention appearances, and when they put actor, author, you know, producer, I, I have this glossy that has a ton of the of, of the stills from films I'm in, and I get to sign those. It's a real, it's a real charge. It's really fun. Nice. Yeah, I didn't know about uh, Walter Mitty. That's a hilarious movie. Talk about the ultimate daydreamer. Oh, right. Well, that was a remake of an old Danny Kaye movie, mm -hmm. which was a classic. And uh, I thought I thought the, the Ben Stiller film was really good too. It just didn't go anywhere. It wasn't a big box office success. But I had a beautiful day uh, in New York as an extra. And all I had to do was, was on, on the street across from uh, Radio City Music Hall. Was just walk down the street for about five or six hours <laughs> in different directions until they got mm. you know this they wanted. And I was an inch away from Stiller and Kristen Wiig, and I said, you know, I got to be professional. I want so badly to take a selfie with them or ask them for an autograph, but you're not supposed to as an extra, and I really resisted. So, you know, that's the, the downfall of doing that kind of work, because there's, there's 10 or 100 extras. If everyone had to do it, it would drive the stars batty. So I, I held back. Yeah, that would have been my one and only movie, because I would have been like, oh, what am I ever going to see these guys again? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so, Good Day Sunshine was a Beatles publication you put out. Uh, when did all that start for you? You sent me one, and it was pretty interesting to read through it. Yeah, that started, I would say, late. Uh, I'm sorry. I had the thought of it late 70s, but I thought there were already too many Beatles fanzines. And in the early 80s, um, one of those fanzines had folded. It was called Good Day Sunshine. And I was always thinking I would call my magazine uh, Dig It. In case I ever wanted to do non-Beatles, it didn't have to necessarily have a Beatles name. But as luck would have it, um, my magazine kind of started when another phenomenal magazine, which was one of my inspirations, Strawberry Fields Forever in Boston, sort of took a hiatus. So there was a, really a lot of Beatles fanzines, but there was only a handful of really quality ones. And High and Beatles fan out of Georgia was amazing. That was like the scholarly one. And Strawberry Fields was the personality ones, and I always considered those two my two favorites. So I wanted to be in between those two, and I got a really great cast of writers. And I, I try to what I try to do is be informative, but include my personality and make it fun to read. And we succeeded because we did a really good long run. And at one point, you know, we we're putting out eighty page magazines every other month, which was like putting out a book six times a year. It was insane. But when you get that finished magazine in your hand, it's such a, such a great joy that that made it all worthwhile. Oh, I bet. <clears throat> and uh, I remember you talking to us last time, and you mentioned that uh, when you met Paul, that was brought up. Can you relate that story again? Yeah. So I met him first time was at um, was in Manchester, and he was playing a uh, hall. And this was when 
nobody thought Paul would ever tour again. You know, wins over America, wins over the world. That was done. And then he was going to tour Japan. He got busted. So we thought Paul would never tour again. And here we are, 1989, and he's touring again. And it's like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. It was the NEC uh, in Manchester, England. I had brought a group out of fans from the U.S. to see his concert. But Sam Leach, who was an early Beatles promoter uh, in, in the Merseyside, um, owed me a favor. And he always promised he would introduce me to Paul, which I never believed would happen. But it did. And I'm backstage. And... He introduces me finally and he, to Paul and he says, this is Charles Rosenay. He produces Beatles conventions in America. And Paul goes, oh, that's cool. He goes, this is, uh, he, Charles also does Good Day Sunshine, you know, a Beatles magazine. Paul goes, oh, great title. And then he says, and Charles brings, you know, the American fans over to Liverpool and to England every year. And, and you know, uh, Paul goes, oh, great, when do I get the royalties? Which was just such a <laughs> funny line. <laughs> and, and, and it broke the ice. And, you know, I've seen him so many times since then. That was really the best time uh, backstage and at, and at award shows and all this. But Linda, Linda was amazing because, God rest her soul, she would remember me, like, by face. And she never had to be reminded. It was always like, oh, yeah, Charles, we get your Good Day Sunshine magazine. We love it. Uh, remember, I'm from Scarsdale. You're from Connecticut. We're almost neighbors. Yeah. And my God, you know, how does she remember that? It was just such a, such a thrill. And I was so honored, you know, to have, to have to get just been in her presence, but to have been remembered. You know, she was right up there with Cynthia Lennon, with so many people who just exuded class. And I, I just loved her so much for that. Well, that's a very awesome story. You have so many great stories, Charles. No, it's a great memory. You know, you live long enough, and thank God I got exposed to a lot of great scenarios through all the things I did, whether it was the conventions, whether it was the magazine. You know, having a magazine, you get press credentials, so it, it gets you into a lot of things in those days. It's not the same. Now everything is either, you know, viral online or it's, you know, uh, it's done different, different, different ways. But back then, you know, I also produced something called RockCon, which was Weekend of 100 Rock Stars in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. And I, literally 100 rock stars came, and it was like the music version of Comic-Con. Oh, wow. And I, met, and I mentioned that, Ian, because back then, you know, I, Beatles, 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 Monkeys, 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 I didn't really branch out. But having that event, I became friends with Tommy James, Billy Hinchy from Dino Desi and Billy, Ron Dante. I mean, the list goes on and on. Phil Fangful, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Mary Wilson from the Supremes, God rest her soul, Al Jardine from the Beach Boys. You know, people who are my guests became friends of mine. You know, I, I went to see Al Jardine, Al Jardine with the Beach with uh, Brian Wilson Beach Boys show last week, and I called him. You know, before I went, and I said, you know, dedicate the. Um, dedicate a song to me and he says I can't I go okay well no problem just just uh, look at me I'll tell you where I am and he did and he waved during the song it was very funny um, but it, it, that's so, such a great I mean I'm honored I'm blessed to know all those people when we did the weekend of 100 rock stars and then it was time to do the book I said that's the number I gotta go with I'm not gonna do 101 rock stars but the, I mean, 100 celebrities give me their 100 top 10 favorite horror lists and I drew, I drew on a lot of those rock stars who were friends of mine. I mean, I, a third or a half of the book on rock people or music people or composers. Um, the other portion is, you know, actors and athletes and, and screen queens and all that. But even though it's a, a horror-themed book, 
nine chapters are beetle-related. Nine chapters are monkey-related. So that's nearly 20% of the book is, you know, beetles and monkeys, which I'm really, you know, that, I have to, right? My people are beetle people and monkey people. So I could not do my first book and not make it at least um, of interest or desirable, you know, to the monkey peach. So we, we succeeded with that. That's awesome. Well, what what's yeah. the future got going for you, Charles? Um, it's usually where I end the show at. What's, I mean, I know with COVID and all, it's probably still kind of questionable. But what do you got going on? Thank you for asking. So this book of top ten uh, horror list, which is just doing great, it's got phenomenal reviews on Amazon. People can get it on Amazon, of course, or they can visit the website www.bookoftop10horrorlist.com, and it's the number ten, not the T N. Um, that has given me incentive to actually do, along with my tours to England for Beatles fans, to Transylvania for Dracula fans, along with the Beatles festivals, along with every crazy thing I do, it's really given me the incentive to do a lot more books. And, you know, it's because we're not 100% out of pandemic, a lot of people are still home and are still available to give me lists. So I'm going to do a second volume of this book, which we're going to call Bride of book of top 10 horror lists and you're going to love this hand i'm going to do a celebrities version of the horror list but for beetle fans and it's going to be the book of top 10 beetle lists where a hundred celebrities give me their top 10 favorite beetle themed uh, lists so who knows 2022 2023 that's down the pike and i got a monkey's book coming out and a turtle's book coming out so a lot of fun things uh yeah yeah uh Yeah, you can't stop. You gotta keep going, or you just die, or something. That's not fun. No, not fun. Or just you know, sit home and sit in a chair, forget it. You know, I'm <laughs> a A-type personality. I'm always looking for the next project and the next fun thing and the next way, you know, to just not please myself but please the fans and my friends. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Charles. Thank you so much for joining us today, and best of luck with this book and the next book and everything else you got coming up. <laughs> bringing me on if fans want to get it of course they can go to amazon that's always the easiest way but if they go to the website the book of top 10 horrorless.com they can request a signed copy and i'm really getting a kick out of signing them and sending them out to all the people who ordered them thank you again oh it's been a pleasure it's always nice talking to you charles enjoy the rest of your night thanks god bless take care bye-bye Alrighty, guys, big big thanks to Charles Rosene, and we will be back this Wednesday with uh, drummer Ken Abril with our uh, episode one of our Ted's memory, ah, Memories of Ted's Warehouse podcast, and uh, actor Peter Elbling will be joining us as well. So we will see you guys Wednesday. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.